Amen. Thanks, Dom and band. Good morning, y'all. John? John? We need one more John over here in this. We have first, second, and third John. Rock in the front row. So. I thought of that. I had to say it. I know. Just bring it all together. Uh, no, good morning. Uh, <laughs> okay, back on track. Uh, yeah, uh, it's great to see your faces this morning. And anyone who's watching online, welcome. Thank you for joining us as well. Uh, we're continuing on in our series through 1 Corinthians. Uh, today we're going to be in chapter 15 in our series, Dear Church. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn them on or open them up, whatever your particular way of, or method is. And you can uh, turn or poke your way to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's great to be here. You know, it's great to have our cross back. Many of you, if you guys have been around since Christmas, it was covered with a fake brick, right? And so I was actually kind of hoping we would hold on, we keep the brick there, and then on Good Friday, I was we're like, we have to figure out a way to make the cross explode through the brick in climatic fashion on Good Friday. I mean, how sick would that be? That'd be so epic. But no, it didn't happen. But I do want to talk about the cross. Uh, no, we as Christians, we love the cross, don't we? Uh, we at Seacoast, we love the cross. It means a lot to us. We make a big deal about it. We, we sing songs about the cross. We, we uh, wear jewelry. A lot of us maybe have a cross necklace or, or some form of jewelry with a cross. Some of us have tattoos of a cross. Um, some of us are brave enough to put a, a bumper sticker of a cross on our car, and that is just to remind the person that you just cut off to please forgive me. <laughs> I know you. Uh, we'll even, we love crosses, we'll, we'll even sign petitions when crosses, when someone threatens to take down a cross in a public space. I mean, it makes sense. The cross is a big deal. It matters a lot. It means so much to us. After all, the cross, it's where, it's where Jesus died for our sins. It's where he paid the ultimate price with his blood. And because of what he did on the cross, I mean, we are, we are forever forgiven. We're free. We are no longer in debt to God. And that is worth celebrating. We celebrate what the cross represents, and we make a big deal about what Jesus accomplished on the cross. I mean, many of us, uh, all, we could, many of us could speak at length as to what the cross means to us personally. You know, if I were to come and, and to take, you know, have you come up here and stand on stage and to speak, like, what does the cross mean to you personally? I mean, once the stage fright kind of, you know, went away a little bit, perhaps you could speak at some length about the cross and what it means. But what's interesting is that when it comes to what happened three days later, many of us are lost for words. Many of us struggle to describe how the resurrection has meaning for us today. You know, I, while many of us could perhaps write long blog posts about the cross, maybe perhaps some of us would struggle to write tweets about the resurrection. So if someone were to ask you, what does the resurrection mean? What would you say? What does the resurrection mean? I mean, uh, was it just to show, was the resurrection just to show that God is God and he has power over death you know, power over death, I mean, sure, that, that is a, a reason or a meaning of the resurrection. But if you think about it, Jesus, over three years of ministry, he performed some pretty amazing miracles and healings. He even raised Lazarus from the dead. 
So he had shown that he has power over death, hadn't he? Was this just, was the resurrection of Jesus just one more example of the power of God over death? Or is there more to it? Now, this is an obvious point is that we wouldn't have the resurrection without the cross. But the question is, why is the resurrection so important? Wasn't the cross enough? I mean, if Jesus remained in the grave having paid for our sins, wouldn't that be enough? Well, apparently not. We'll see today that Paul even says that if Jesus hasn't raised from the dead, then this whole thing that we're a part of called Christianity is completely worthless. It's useless. So apparently, the truth of the resurrection actually matters, and it's supposed to impact you and I as we wake up and live each day. So yes, we are so thankful for the cross, but there's more to the story. My question for you this morning is, do you know what the resurrection means for you personally? What the resurrection means for you personally? So to help us answer that question, uh, we're going to look through part of 1 Corinthians 15 this morning, as well as we'll uh, bring in some other passages But the first thing I want to look at really is the fact of the resurrection. And then we're going to take, uh, we're going to pivot over and we're going to look at the meaning of the resurrection for you and I personally. So that's where we're going. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. And if you don't have a Bible, it's cool. We're going to put the verses up on the screen for you. You can follow along that way. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brethren, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So let's just hold up there for one second. Isn't it interesting that Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, this is a church that is filled with believers, that he feels the need to remind them of the gospel. He feels the need, like you guys are Christians, a lot of you are, like I I don't care. I need to remind you of the gospel. And I've said this before, and I'll probably say it till I'm gone, is that the gospel is for Christians too. It's not just for unbelievers. It's for believers. You see, we never, you and I, we never graduate from God's grace. We don't outgrow our need to hear, to believe, and to apply the good news of God's grace into every aspect of our lives and relationships. And notice that Paul, how he says, you you not only received this Like as in once upon a time, you not only receive this, but it is where you currently stand. It is where you are located. It is your foundation. See, we don't move beyond it. And really, there's no need to move beyond it. Really, if there's anything for us to do is to to more fully grasp what that gospel is, what the gospel is, and to move deeper into it in our understanding and growth and grace but we've said it before, I mean, the gospel, it's not just, the gospel is not just a diving board that we jump off in, of into this pool of religion and go and swim around. No, the gospel is the diving board, but it's, the gospel is the pool itself that we jump off of and we now swim deeper into God's grace and understanding it. You know, our life group just this past week, we had a great conversation, but all around the idea of gospel amnesia. You know, we tend to forget. We wake up each day forgetting who we are and who God is and what he has done and how important it is for us to be reminded of the truth that will set us free. 
because we live in a world that is filled with competing messages that all claim to provide the answers that we're looking for, ways to fix yourself and to free yourself from that guilt and that shame that you experience. And so it's really important that we are reminded constantly of God's solution to those things, the gospel. And so Paul, he reminds Christians of the gospel. After all, it is the message we hold fast to because that's the only message that can truly save. And so what is this message? Let's look at uh, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Okay, so first I want us to notice this phrase of first importance. This is Christianity at its core. So if you're brand new to the faith or you're exploring, if you want a, a very, like, this is condensed down to the core of what Christianity is, we're going to give it to you this morning. This is Christianity's core. This is the big deal. And interestingly enough, in this list that he, we just read, nowhere in, in that list of what is of first importance do we find anything about the age of the earth. We don't see anything about how the world began. We don't see anything about how the world's going to end. How everything began, everything's going to end. These are divisive topics in a lot of churches. It's not in the list. We don't see anything about politics. There's nothing in that list of first importance about the role of men and women in the church or spiritual gifts. Those are very important things, and we've covered those things over the last few weeks. We don't see anything about Bible translations or worship styles. Again, these can be divisive things in churches. What's most interesting to me is that in this list of what is of first importance, there's nothing to be mentioned about morality, behavior, Christian conduct. There's nothing in that list about what you or I need to do. That list is all about Christ and what he has done. That's what's of first importance. We see that Christ died, was buried, was raised, and a lot of people saw it. That's the story. So that's the core. That's Christianity at the core. You see, while everything in the Bible is God's inspired word, not every word, theme, or topic is equal in its importance. Within the pages of Scripture, we see a lot of things said, but not everything is equal in its importance. For Paul, there was one message that was of first importance. You know, there's a saying in journalism that it tells writers, don't bury the lead. You heard that before? Don't bury the lead. And it refers to placing the most important, relevant, and pertinent information down and burying it down low in the article, further down, instead of at the very beginning where it belongs. And so as a reader, you, you'll like, you lose interest because, I mean, who really wants to read through and scour through all of this secondary information in order to find, like, what's the big idea? Not me. I mean, imagine having to read an entire article or read through it just to find out who won the war 
or the election or the Super Bowl. I mean, a good news reporter will, will obsess over their lead because once they find the core message, they understand that everything else is going to flow from that. And so as Christians, we bury the lead when we make something that is not the core message of the, of the gospel. We, we replace it with something else, something secondary. And so it's important for us to know what is the core message. Let's look at it. We read it earlier, verse 3, that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so first thing that we see is that Christ died for our sins. So Jesus didn't just die as a martyr, you know, to just show the world a better way. I mean, there's a lot of people who have given their lives, you know, for, they've, they've paid the ultimate price, they've given their lives for a great cause. How is this any different? Well, it is a different. Jesus died for a purpose. He died for you. He died for us. He died for our sins. And what does that mean? He died for our sins. Well, it means that he died to pay the price, to take them away, to deal with them once and for all. And that's amazing news, and we celebrate that. It also says that he was buried. And by this, it means that the death of Jesus was final. It was real. Jesus wasn't just dead. He was like dead, dead. Paul wants to make it clear. He died. He was buried. He was dead, dead. And, and you know, the lights, they faded to black. And for most of us, that's game over. But miraculously, it wasn't game over for him. It says Jesus was raised on the third day, and he appeared to many witnesses at the same time. So Paul's claiming many people saw Jesus alive after he was dead. And it wasn't just one or two people. He says it was a lot of people. Check it out. It was Peter. It was the disciples. It was, at one point, it was more than 500 people at the same time. And by the way, by the way most of those people are still alive, meaning you can go talk to them. You can go and interview them. Have at it. And so I want to get just a quick tip for you, okay? It, this is gonna, you're going to love this. It's really helpful. If you guys are thinking about starting your own religion, you know, take notes. This is good. This is good. Uh, you better be careful who you trust with the story that you create. That's point number one. I mean, you better, you better be careful to limit the amount of people who are in on it. I mean, if you've got 500 plus people who are part of your invented story, who you are saying, these are eyewitnesses, and that they're still alive as you're writing this, I mean, you better make sure that all those 500 plus people are all on the same page with you and your crazy schemes. And you better make sure that all those people are ready and willing to die for your lie. Okay? Have fun. Now, Paul, Paul is telling us He's saying, I'm not making this up. You can go and talk to hundreds of people who saw the risen Lord. You know, last summer we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 landing on the moon, right? Now, I don't know where some of you stand, but, but there are people that believe that the whole thing was staged. We're not going to have anyone raise their hands. Uh, but if, that was, if that's you, don't worry, I'm not going to say it's ridiculous, but it is. Uh, what I thought was really interesting, though, as all of this was coming out, like, you know, I was like kind of reading and learning a little bit, uh, was hearing about the amount of people that were involved in making this mission happen. You know, it wasn't just 10, 
20, 200. I mean, that's somewhat containable. You can get everyone on board there. Uh, it wasn't even 2,000. Apparently, there were more than, or there were 400,000 people who were involved at some level in the mission to the moon. Many of them are still alive to talk about it. And so that's a lot of people to include in a hoax. So Paul's making it clear that the resurrection of Jesus is true. It actually happened. There was no secret group. There was no invented story. There were no schemes that someone came up with in a smoke-filled room. No, what there was was that there were many witnesses who saw Jesus. Paul continues. He's like, guess what? He even appeared to me. He even appeared to me in verse 8. He says, last of all, to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. What does untimely born mean? There's, there's several different ways you can take that, but one way to look at it is that Paul, he didn't get to hang out with Jesus like Peter, James, John, and the rest of the boys did. He didn't get to walk with him and talk with him in that, in that way. He, you know, he kind of missed the boat on that. We came from a different era. You know, I, I think back to when I look at pictures of myself so anyone who grew up and went to high school in the 90s, you know, you're with me on this one. Uh, I look back at pictures of myself. I wish I had one, but then I'm glad I don't. Um, it's amazing to me the things that I wore and the haircuts that I had. I mean, I'm talking bleached tips and puka shells. Come on, say amen, someone. <laughs> when I look back at these pictures of myself and what I was wearing, what I looked like, I'm like, man, I was untimely born. Okay, moving along. <laughs> so, crucified, buried, risen, and witnessed. That's the story. That's the core of the gospel. That is Christianity at its core. So check it out. Paul's faith, it wasn't anchored in some wishful thinking, and he isn't he isn't passing on a gospel that is rooted in sentimental spirituality. His confidence was in the historical fact that Jesus died, was buried, and he rose from the dead. And guess what? He saw him. That was the anchor for his faith. Now, Paul, he now goes on to show the outcome or the implications. If Jesus didn't raise, you know, this has some serious implications for us. Uh, verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And this is Paul, he's responding to some, some of the people in Corinth were claiming that there was no resurrection. Therefore, there is no resurrection of us. And, no, and so he's responding to that claim. In verse 13, he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't, has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. So he's saying if Christ was not raised, then our preaching and your faith is in vain, meaning it's useless. Another translation is it's worthless. So does it sound to you that like Paul is interested in giving a nod to Jesus as he's a great preacher, he's a great teacher. You know, he's a great guy with some helpful principles for living this, a good life. You know, many people are fine with talking about Jesus as, oh, 
great prophet, great moral guide, amazing teacher. I mean, we can talk about Jesus all day long as a great man of wisdom and a very important spiritual figure. But the Bible, and Paul here, doesn't cap it off there. If you're paying attention, you must deal with this unavoidable claim. Jesus rose from the dead. You have to deal with that. We can't just stop with, the, oh, Jesus is a great, great guy, great, you know, great teacher and stuff. No, no, he rose from the dead. We have, to, we have to deal with that. We have to come to a conclusion on what we believe about that. Paul's not leaving any room for Jesus to be just a mere martyr or some amazing guru who showed us uh, what sacrificial love looks like. No, he's saying if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, this whole thing is pointless. This whole thing is worthless. It's an all or nothing proposition. Either Jesus was raised or he wasn't. And if he wasn't, our preaching and your faith is useless. I mean, if Christ has not been raised, what, what are you and I even doing here? Why? Honestly, why would we come and gather here and sing songs about a dead teacher? Why would you come, give up time, come here and listen to some Yahoo speak for 45 minutes, trying to maybe be about 30 minutes today, okay? Uh, why would you listen to some, some guy t- speak for 45 minutes about or, uh, some dead teacher, all in the name of some dead teacher? How ridiculous How pointless. What a complete waste of time. Paul continues, verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. There's no hope for them. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, We are of all people most to be pitied. So he's banking it all on the resurrection. He's not picking and choosing little pieces of Jesus and his teachings. Oh, this this would be great. I could get by with this. He's saying, no, no. It either happened or it didn't. And if it didn't, it's all worthless. That's where he leaves us. And so, so far we've we've unpacked what Paul says about the fact of the resurrection. Now I want to focus our time and the remainder of our time on exploring the meaning of the resurrection for you and I personally. And I specifically want to focus your attention on that phrase in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. You are still in your sins. What does that mean? You know, one of the the phrases you'll hear Christians say from time to time be like, hey, man, whew, Corey, ooh, we really need to be praying for Corey. Uh, sorry, I'm going to pick on you. <laughs> really need to be praying for Corey. I mean, bless his heart. Bless his heart. I know he's a believer. I know he's a believer, but based on some of his Instagram posts lately, ooh, uh, it's clear he's in sin. He's in sin. We use that phrase, in sin, and we Talk about a believer as though they are in sin. My question is, is that true? Is that even possible? Is it possible for you as a believer to be in sin? Well, according to Paul, because of the resurrection, 
you are no longer located in sin. Do you recognize that you, as a believer, as a believer, are in Christ, not in sin? Your spiritual location has changed, but a sin. I heard it. I know you didn't say it out loud, but, but you, you thought it. I still sin. Here's the deal. You might sin, but guess what? You have to sin while you're in Christ. Awkward. <laughs> I mean, you have to, if you're going to sin, you're going to have to sin while you're in Christ because that's where you're located, which is the very reason for the conflict that you feel and that you experience. I mean, here you are as a new creation, someone not located in sin anymore trying to sin. It's like putting the diesel into the unleaded. It doesn't work. It's not compatible with who you are. It's not compatible with where you are. You are not in your sins. You are in his son. There's a big difference. And the enemy would love to convince you that whew, you are no different than you used to be. Look at you. You still sin. You're, you're still in sin. And if I believe that I'm in sin, I'm in sin, guess what I'm going to go do? I'm going to go on sinning because that's what I'm in. I do what I'm in. And this is why we need the gospel. We need the resurrection message. So do you realize that the resurrection changed? It fundamentally changed your spiritual location. You see, before salvation, you were immersed in baptized into sin. It was in you. It was around you. It was to your left. It was to your right, up, down. You were immersed in sin. That was your spiritual location. But by faith, when God saved you, you were transferred into Christ, into the Spirit, into the kingdom of God. Your location, spiritually, it changed. You see, Jesus didn't just come and die for you and then get buried and, and leave you in the grave as a forgiven sinner and just leaving you there. There was also a resurrection. The master crane operator, he came, he hoisted you up out of your sin, out of your death, and he came and he transferred you and he, he put you alive into Christ. Paul in Romans 6, he says this, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is a... a, a this is packed with so much meaning, so much truth that will set you free. But I want to summarize it and boil it down this way. He's saying what happened to Jesus in that, as we read that, as what happened to Jesus happened to us because we are joined with him. Jesus died. He was buried. He was, and he raised from the grave. And guess what? So were you. And it didn't just stop there. Check this out. Ephesians 2. The good news gets better. 
But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, your spiritual location has radically changed. Has radically changed. Now, this is an oversimplistic example. Forgive me, but I think it's a good one. I'm totally borrowing it from someone else. But I've got this book. I've got a piece of paper. Now, I take this paper, and I place it in the book, and I close it up like that. Now, let's say I walk over to a fire, and I throw this book into the fire. What happens to the paper? Well, it too burns with the book. Imagine I take this book and I dig a hole and I bury the book. What happens to the paper then? You know, it too gets buried because it's in the book. Now imagine I I take this book and I I head down to, let's say, our library, the Instance Library, awesome library. I walk in there and I look for the tallest shelf in the library. It's library. I, I'm, I was like, don't say library, Matt. Do not say library. <laughs> Check. Imagine I walk into the library, and I find the tallest shelf. I get the ladder out, and I start climbing up, and I raise the book up, and then I seat it on the tallest shelf. What happens to the paper? It, too, was raised up and placed and seated on that tall shelf. Why? I mean, very simply, because... The paper is in the book. Whatever happens to the book, it also happens to the paper. You see, when we talk about salvation, and we talk about getting saved, this is what that means. It means you are placed in Christ Jesus. When he died, you died in him. When he was buried, you were buried in him and with him. And when he was resurrected, you were resurrected spiritually with him. And what's cool, it doesn't just stop there. As we just read in Ephesians, not long after the resurrection, there was also an ascension. Jesus, in front of many witnesses, ascended back to heaven. He was raised up to heavenly places and is now seated right next to God himself. And the question is, where were you during all of this? Well, it's salvation. You get placed or were placed in him. And this whole process, this death, this burial, this resurrection, this raising and seating, it happened to you as well. So I think that's incredible news. But here's what happens. You might be, you're sitting there now, like, this is good. Man, oh, it's freeing. I'm I'm being reminded of the truth. Okay, We leave here, we go to lunch, we start our day tomorrow, we get into our week, and enough time passes, and then we start praying our prayers to God. You know those prayers. God, please come close. Make me close, Lord. God, come near. I want to be close to you. And his, God has one response, one answer to that, and it's this. You're in me. You can't get any closer than that. 
And it's crazy when, we, when you think about how, how often we beg and we plead for God to do something that he's already done. God, make me new. Make me near. Bring me close. Make me clean. And he whispers, he leans over and whispers, Psst, you're sitting right next to me. And I love you and nothing's ever going to change that. So do you see the importance of the gospel? You see why it's of first importance. And it's not just, it's not just the cross. There was also a resurrection. And Jesus didn't stay buried. He didn't stay in the grave, and neither did you. And so for us, the call is, let's not bury the lead. Because after all, the lead, he's risen. And so are you. The resurrection changes everything. And uh, the resurrection, it's indeed hope for the future. It's that promise that there's, this world is not all that there is. But it's not just hope for eternity. It's hope for the present tense, the present moment for you and I here and now. You see, we're not just forgiven and left in the grave. We're also resurrected. We're also radically new. We are new creations with a new location And that location is in his son, in him. Pray with me. God, we thank you for this morning, for this reminder, Lord, of the amazing process that you took us through. Lord, we love the cross. We love the forgiveness, the redemption, that you have dealt once and for all with all of our sins that those sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west and they'll never come between us again. But Lord, you also changed our location. We're not in the grave as forgiven sinners. Lord, you have raised us up and you have seated us as holy, righteous, loved saints. You know, as we're praying, I know that everyone here is located spiritually somewhere. We're all spiritually somewhere. The question is, where are you this morning? Because this is an either-or proposition. It's either in Christ or not. It's spiritually dead, in your sins, in the flesh, or in Christ, alive. Maybe this morning you're hearing this gospel message of what is of first importance and you're realizing, man, for the first time, I, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior to, to take you through that whole process. You've been trying and struggling to, to live a life to either please him or a life to, to please others around you. But maybe today for the first time, you, you're realizing that you need a Savior. And if that's you, man, I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to just respond if you want to trust Jesus as your Savior right here, right now, I want to invite you just to pray something like this. Again, there's no magical words. Pray silently to yourself. God hears you. God, I know I'm a sinner in need of your forgiveness and your rescue. I've been running, but today I give up. I surrender. Would you come do for me what I could never do for myself. Forgive me. Cleanse me. 
clean me. And Lord, move in. Come live in me. I surrender today to you. I receive you, Jesus Christ, as my Savior. And thank you for for saving me and for loving me and for your promise to never leave me. God, I thank you for anyone who prayed that prayer this morning. Lord, I thank you for them. I pray that you would continue over these days, weeks, and months to come to help solidify in their hearts and their minds this new identity, this new birth that now defines them. Lord, they're not defined by their past. They're not defined by what they do, but they're defined by who you are and what you have not only done for them, but done to them. God, we thank you for the amazing, amazing grace that you, that you have for us. And so right now we want to respond in song to you this morning, Lord. We love you. Amen.